Good morning and happy Sunday. Merry Christmas. It's uh, Christmas week. We're celebrating the birth of Jesus. And we are continuing in our series about Abraham within the Hall of Faith series. Uh, and last week we did look at the fulfillment of God's promise in giving, uh, giving Abraham and Sarah a son in their old age, even though they had been barren their whole lives. And that's an awesome story, but that's not all of the story about Abraham and Sarah. And so we're going to rewind and retell some of that narrative. And to be honest, we're going to, unfortunately, be studying a, a much more somber part of the narrative in which each of them, they're, they're doing some pretty horrible things. And it's just further indication that the people we see in the Hall of Faith they're not heroes. Uh, they are not individuals that are necessarily admirable in every way. They are human, they are flawed, they are sinners, and as Paul has even already said in Romans 4 about Abraham, they are ungodly. And yet, even though this account, uh, as a historic account, uh, will have its sad parts, God is still working in the midst of human sin, and the New Testament ends up alluding to this narrative in an allegorical way and bringing it into good news. Uh, so it is still going to end up being something in which we celebrate the work that God is doing. And so uh, we ended last week in Genesis 21. We're going back to Genesis 16. Uh, and so this is after God had already called out Abraham and Sarah and they traveled much and God had told them that they would have offspring and that they would be a blessing to the nations, the families of the earth, that their offspring would be as innumerable as the dust of the earth or the stars in the heavens. And as they wait for God to fulfill what he has promised, uh, they begin to get impatient and they begin to seek an alternative way to bring about what they think is a good idea, to bring about what they believe, like, hey, maybe this is kind of what God is saying, and, and if we just do the wrong thing, we might be able to make happen what God has promised us. And so let's start off in Genesis 16, and here we go, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And so uh, they actually end up getting much wealth and servants from Pharaoh of Egypt as a result of Abraham lying earlier in the account about, uh, about Sarah being merely his sister and the whole thing that had happened. And so Pharaoh ends up uh, giving them wealth and servants one of whom is named Hagar. And so Sarah has this idea. She had this female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. And so she's even kind of like blaming God in this scenario. She's like, all right, God said he was going to do it, and he's stopping it from happening. So we're going to come up with our own way to make this happen. And, uh... So she says, go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram, in this case, he shouldn't have 
but he listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian. And so it's describing, it's not just Abram committing this sin. Sarai is the one that took uh, the Egyptian Hagar, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And so what we're going to see in this narrative is that all of the in individuals involved, they're just all sinful people. They are sinning against one another, against the Lord, uh, and they're, they're doing all sorts of wrong things, but God is still going to be working in the midst of it. Uh, and so in this moment, uh, Sarai is somewhat blaming God about not having fulfilled his promise yet, and even saying that he's prevented her from getting pregnant. And then they come up with their alternative plan uh, through which they intend on, right, making the promise of God happen. And so uh, this story, actually, the language parallels the sin of Adam and Eve, of, of looking and taking, of Eve looking upon the fruit as something to be desired and taking it for herself that Sarah does the same thing with Hagar, uh, where she sees that she has this servant and considers maybe this is a way, this seemed wise to her as a means of, of getting the life that she wanted apart from God's will, and then taking that servant, and they both, Abram and Sarai, abuse Hagar in this way. All right, so this is not an admirable, admirable thing at, at all. Uh, and so that's definitely worth considering. Uh, and so uh, Hagar ends up having a son named Ishmael. We're going to fast forward a lot. And we'd read last week that in prayer to God, Abram ends up even praying. He's like, God, can't you just bless Ishmael? Can't you just take the, the mess that I've made and, and just turn it into the thing that you wanted it to be in the first place? Like, why do, why do you still have to f have this alternative uh, route. Why do you have to do it your way is essentially what Abraham prays to the father. But let's skip forward to Genesis 21 and I'll read the first two verses that we had read last week. And so eventually the Lord visited Sarah as he had said and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised, which is right granting her by her faith the power to conceive. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And so both of them laugh at this moment. Uh, they realize it's incredibly wonderful that God gives them this son in their old age, that God does keep his promise, right? That God does the thing that he had promised them. And so uh, as time passes, this child, Isaac, uh, in verse eight, so I skipped some there, uh, it says, and the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. And so uh, it's, it's suggested that this is any time between 18 months old for Isaac or even as late as five years old for Isaac. Uh, and so they have this feast to celebrate this moment, right? This is the, the son of the promise. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, Egyptian whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out 
this slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. And so Sarah's giving suggestions to Abraham. Last time he shouldn't have listened to her. But this time we'll find out that God actually says, even though this is not at all uh, any sort of permission for us to neglect our responsibilities, uh, that we should not abandon our children and our families in any regard, in this moment, uh, God is explicit in his instruction. And so, uh, verse 12, But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And so, once again, God verifies this is the son of the promise. This is the one that you will be known for, that your blessing and inheritance will, will go to. But he's not done with Ishmael, right? And God already, while Abraham was praying uh, about Ishmael, God already told Abraham that he was going to bless Ishmael. And so verse 13, he says, And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And so, uh, just to, to fill in and consider this, this story, once again, not something to be emulated in any regard. Their, their messed up family situation, if anything, is to be avoided. You can see that uh, when we live in our own wisdom, when we try to do things our own way, uh, when we try to bring about the life that we desire for ourselves, sinning in the process, it just makes things very, very complicated. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, just as far as some context, when Isaac is born, Ishmael is already 14 years old. Okay, and so there's actually a significant gap of time that uh, in some, <laughs> some senses, he's already considered an adult at the birth of Isaac, okay? Uh, but since if we take into consideration that this event happened when Isaac was weaned, it's possible that Ishmael is between 16 and maybe even 20 years old that this occurs, okay? And so this is a, a very, very much older child, a late teen, and there's this young child, maybe is maybe roughly three, four years old, uh, who is, is having this, this feast celebration, and the older child is now laughing at the younger child, okay? And so, at first, that's just, that doesn't seem necessarily to be all that unusual. You might be like, all right, like, maybe something funny was happening. We, al we already know that Abraham and Sarah have been laughing at the idea of Isaac, and, and even when Isaac was born, that there's not necessarily anything wrong with laughter, okay? Uh, but nonetheless, there seems to have been something wrong in the way that Ishmael was doing this. He wasn't just laughing in good fun or in celebration of the moment. In fact, in the New Testament, we will look in this chapter in a moment, but in uh, Galatians 4.29, Paul says that he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. And he's actually reflecting on this moment 
with Ishmael and Isaac. That, that he actually indicates, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that Ishmael is somehow persecuting Isaac. That there's something more than just simple laughter there, right? We don't have a lot of the tone of the story being conveyed to us. But whatever did happen, uh, Sarah was picking up on it. Okay, and I don't think it was just a matter of like her not liking the idea of both of these sons receiving an inheritance. Okay, uh, so it's possible even that that Sarah was worried about Isaac's safety, right? That she may have even known the story of Cain and Abel and one brother murdering another. Ishmael would at this point have likely been expecting to have become the heir and receive the blessing and inheritance from his father, right? He's almost a grown man. Uh, his dad is really old that he might be thinking like, wow, like any, any year now, and I'm going to inherit all of this abundance that my father has. And then when this child is born, now there's a threat to that inheritance. Okay. There's, there's this threat in his mind. And so, uh, I want to point out, by the way, that this wouldn't be the first time nor the last time in the biblical narrative that the older son is overlooked to the younger son to receive the inheritance and the blessing. And in fact, on that note, in the next generation, when Isaac is older, his wife would actually uh, have her son Jacob flee because she's fearful that uh, his brother, his older brother Esau, was going to kill him. And so this isn't unheard of, and it's possible that Sarah is recognizing some of this intent in the heart of Ishmael. Some of it's a little bit of speculation, but that passage in Galatians seems to verify there was more going on here. Okay, and so uh, Sarah is fearful to some degree, and, and says, Abraham, you need to cast out, right? And this sounds so awful. Cast out the slave woman and her son, right? Cast out the woman that you abused, right? That you impregnated uh, and the son that you, uh, that you have, like get rid of them. That's horrible, right? That's horrible. But, uh, but let's, let's consider consider this and, and what else is taking place. And so, uh, as far as this narrative, we know that uh, when Hagar had become pregnant, she had began to despise Sarah. Uh, we know that uh, Abraham was displeased by this idea. And so, Abraham at least is like at the idea of getting rid of, of this woman and her son, like he's, he's unsettled by this. He's like, this isn't this isn't either isn't right in his mind or he's just very upset about the idea. He's he's connected to these people, right? They're his, they're his family, right? Prior to Isaac, I, Abraham had already prayed that God would work his promise through Ishmael. He's been raising this boy who's, right, a late teen at this point. And I want to point out that God still blesses Ishmael. He just doesn't divert his plan, his intent to, to work through the child of the promise. And so Hagar and Ishmael go into the wilderness, right, with some meager amount of provision from Abraham. And as they begin to run out of food, Hagar is praying and God shows up. God provides for their needs 
And God even speaks to Hagar in verse 18. He reminds her, I will make him into a great nation. And then in verse 20, we get like some like little montage of him growing up. It says, and God was with the boy and he grew up and he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took, uh, took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. All right. And so things seem to go well for him. Uh, he becomes the father of 12 princes is what God had actually had already um, indicated to Abraham when he was praying for him. Okay. And so uh, things end up going okay for them so to speak. Uh, but this is still a really just sad story. It's just the brokenness of human sin all over it. Like our world is messed up. And, and right, all of these people involved are, are sinful in their different ways. Uh, Abraham and Sarah had abused Hagar. Uh, Hagar despised Sarah. Uh, Sarah dealt harshly with Hagar. I didn't even read that part after she had um, begun to despise her. Uh, Ishmael ends up laughing at Isaac, perhaps even planning violence. The point is that this is a very broken family and it's broken because of each person's sin and their sin towards one another. And, and it could be easy for us at times to just think about God's grace and be like how God's so forgiving. It doesn't even matter if I sin anymore. Like God, God will forgive me. What's the big deal? But I want us to take a moment and just think about that, that our sins still have earthly consequences, generational consequences in some instances, and, and that just, yes, yes, God can and will forgive you, but it doesn't mean that like we should just continue in sin because he'll forgive us. No, we can cause a lot of harm and difficulty and strain in our own lives and for the lives of others if we continue in sin. And so sin should never be taken lightly. Okay, like you can make your life really uncomfortable if you choose a life in which you're just like, whatever, I'm just going to keep sinning. All right, in fact, in, in some of the commandments as the people of Israel go, are going into the land, right, God tells them like, obey me that it may go well with you. All right, that when God instructs us, some of the design of those commands isn't just because he wants us to do what he says, but that in obeying him, we are experiencing his blessing on our lives. That we're living wisely before the Lord rather than making foolish decisions. And so let's get this into the New Testament here. Okay, because this is a, a sad story, a broken story, but there's some really cool stuff that's going to be shown in the New Testament. And so this is the question that I want us to, to sit with. And this is the question that was at the middle of that family in that moment. Who is going to be the son of Abraham? Who is going to be the heir? Who will inherit the promises? Okay, and so we're going to dive in and, and you're going to be like, Brian, this doesn't seem related at all. But in Paul's mind, it is. It's absolutely connected and in a moment, it will explicitly get there. But it's connected to the idea of, of who are the children of Abraham, okay? And in this whole concept of faith, and very much so the actual story that we just read is going to be brought up in the New Testament. So let's start in Galatians 3. I'm going to be in Galatians 3 and 4 and, and jumping around a little bit. But reading that whole book really will be helpful for those of us who lean towards 
legalism. Okay, Galatians 3.1. So this is written to a New Testament church of followers of Jesus. <laughs> oh, foolish Galatians! Right? Like, uh, that's not how I ever start a sermon. <laughs> right? Like, fortunately, that's not how I feel. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And so what Paul is wrestling with is this church that is returning to legalism. They're returning to the old covenant law. And he's trying to call them back. He's trying to say, like, this isn't for you anymore. Who is, who is telling you this? Okay, this old covenant is not for you. And he's so, like, kind of frustrated to the point that he's, he's calling them foolish, right? And so he asks this question. When, when you first became a follower of Jesus, did you receive the Holy Spirit in your life because you were so good at keeping the law? Or was it by hearing God's word, God's promises, and believing them by faith? Right? So the answer to that question is obviously it's by faith that we receive God and his life and his kingdom and his blessings and his spirit and his salvation and forgiveness and all of those things. Verse 3, he's not done. Are you so foolish? <laughs> having begun by the Spirit, so he knows their answer to that question. Like, this is how you began your walk with Christ. Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And so God's spirit is even working miraculously in this church. And he's saying, does that happen because you're so good at keeping God's law, God's old covenant law, that you're like perfectly adhering to these ordinances that were part of the culture and time of Israel? Is that why the Holy Spirit's working miracles among you? Or is it because you hear God's word and you have faith, you believe? It's the latter. It's because we believe, okay? Verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Okay, and so, right, the question was, who is the son of Abraham? Who is the heir? Who will inherit the promises? All right, and in that context, in Genesis, it would have been, right, is it going to be Ishmael or is it going to be Isaac? But here we find out that it's those who have the faith of Abraham. That we are the sons and daughters of Abraham, right? We are the children of Abraham if we have the faith of Abraham. If we trust God like Abraham had trusted God. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, right? Those who were of the nations, the families of the earth, those who were not blood relatives, descendants of Abraham, were justified by faith because of what God had done, right? Uh, that God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, if those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, uh, so then those 
who are of the faith, I had the wrong emphasis, uh, are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. And so this is, this is the thing that Paul's wrestling with. He's like, you are not going to gain God's approval by trying to keep the old covenant. You are not going to additionally please God by trying to adhere to the old covenant. Okay, like that those things will not be a blessing to you. In fact, the contrary will happen. It will be a curse to you if you try to be justified, if you try to please God by keeping the old covenant. Okay, let's see. Verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Okay, let's, let's skip down. Here we go. Verse 18. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. And so here's, here's the question again. Who is the true son of Abraham? Who is the offspring of Abraham? Ishmael's the firstborn. Isaac is the son of the promise, this miraculous child. Right? Who becomes a child of Abraham? This is the answer, right? Is it a lawkeeper? It's the one who shares the faith of Abraham, the one who believes in the promise just as Abraham did. Okay, that's the means by which we become the, the children of Abraham. Okay, and then he has this, this little concept where he's like, well, what, what's the whole purpose of the law if we weren't supposed to keep it right now as we've entered God's kingdom in this way? Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should become uh, should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary now an intermediary implies more than one but god is one is the law then contrary to the promises of god certainly not for if if a law had been given that could give life then righteousness would indeed be by the law but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And so those who experience the promise that God has, it's not in trying to keep the law, but it's by faith, by placing our trust in Jesus Christ. Okay, that's, that's the way that it's done. That's how we experience the promise of God. Verse 23, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. Okay, and so he says the purpose of the law, it's like a, a tutor, a guardian, someone who was watching over us momentarily while we waited to come to the point of maturity, to the point of Jesus arriving and our placing our hope and faith and trust in him. And so the purpose of the law was momentary and conditional. Uh, one of the ways that it fulfilled its purpose was, as he says in Romans, uh, that it is through the law that comes the knowledge of sin. 
Okay, it's through the law that we realize we even do wrong and are in need of forgiveness and need this coming Messiah, this Savior. Okay, but, but once we've experienced, once we've been justified, right, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, right? We're, we're not under that guardian anymore. And let me, let me uh, de-analyze the allegory, right? Uncloud this for us. He's saying we are no longer under the law. That Christians who have placed their faith in Jesus, we're no longer under that old covenant. Now you're still thinking about Ishmael and Isaac and you're like, what does this have to do with that at all, right? But don't worry, we'll get there. Uh, so verse 26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. And so not only are we children of Abraham, sons and daughters of Abraham, daughters of Sarah, okay? We are children of God because of what Jesus has done for us. And it's through faith. It's not through keeping the law. All right, and so this is where this begins to be good news for us. Now, there's some of us that might be resisting because it's like, well, like I want, I want the sense of approval and, and the, the appearance of righteousness that comes about by my keeping this law. No, don't do that. All right, you don't want that, right? As, as Paul's already indicated, to try to keep the law, it would be a curse to you, not a blessing. It's not a good thing to seek after. It would just be self-righteousness. Verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Okay, and so check this out. That as we enter into God's family by faith, as we become children of God, it is not on the basis of our family heritage. It is not whether or not we are Jewish or Greek, right, Gentile, pagan, whatever. It has nothing to do with whether or not we're blood relatives to Abraham. Okay, that those who are truly the children of Abraham, children of God now in this context, as Paul has argued, it has nothing to do with who we were born of. It has to do with whether or not we've entered by faith. Right? He even mentions baptism there, that, that we've made this profession of faith. Okay, and so, so the issue is it has nothing to do with are you Jewish or are you a Gentile? We are all one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't have to do with whether or not you are a slave nor free. And right at this time and in this culture and this place, there were slaves and bond servants that Paul would be writing to a community of believers that is made up of both free people and those who are slaves. And yet he's saying this has nothing to do with the place and position that you have in the family of God, that you all have access. Okay, in, in Abraham's family, Sarah, Ishmael, Isaac, Hagar, right? It turned out that Hagar and Ishmael, they were not going to inherit, right? That they were slaves. They were bond servants. Uh, and so sadly, they weren't going to inherit in that way. God blessed them anyway, right? But they weren't going to be a part of it. But in the kingdom of God, when it comes to inheriting the promises that God has for us, our status does not affect it at all, right? Our economic, our social position, it has nothing to do 
with our receiving the blessings of God, with our being accepted and having access to our Father, coming into his family. It has nothing to do with it. And in fact, Paul even says that there is no male and female, right? That our gender has nothing to do with our access to the Father. Now, God still has distinction between the genders, right? God still has instruction in the New Testament to the churches that are unique to each gender. But when it comes to salvation, when it comes to being an image bearer of God, none of these things hinder or grant us additional bonus points when it comes to accessing God. It's all done in the same way that Abraham did it, which is by faith. Verse uh, 29, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And so for you and I, right, if we've placed our trust in Christ, we are, uh, we are Christ's, we are Abraham's offspring, and we are heirs. And right, and so you wouldn't think there would need to be a distinction between being a child of Abraham and receiving the inheritance, but Abraham's family was screwed up. Uh, but in this instance, we're, we're both, right? We get to be his offspring. We have, we share in the faith of Abraham. And we get to inherit. We get to inherit the promises. We, we get to experience the, the promises and the blessings that God has for us in the same way that Abraham did, which was by faith. Let's see. Uh, the very next chapter, skipping down to verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. All right. Merry Christmas. There it is, right? We're celebrating the advent, the the incarnation, God becoming a man and dwelling among us, right? God, this savior, the sin-bearing servant coming into the world to rescue sinners and ungodly people like Abraham, Hagar, Sarah, Ishmael, and Isaac, and us, right? That that Jesus was born under the law to rescue and ransom those who were under it, those who were guilty according to the law. That Jesus came to fulfill the law and to redeem us who were under it. And, and that we might receive adoption as sons. And so this is why it's important, right, placing our trust in Jesus. And not just being like having this like generic arbitrary view of like, well, we're all God's children. There, it, it matters, as to whether or not we've experienced forgiveness of our sins, as to whether or not we've partaken in salvation, as to whether or not we've actually been adopted into his kingdom, as to whether or not we've entered into the kingdom of God by being born again, right? Born of the spirit, right? This matters. This distinction is important. None of your previous experience or heritage or status has anything to do with it. It will not hinder your access to the Father when you place your faith in Jesus, right? But if you try to enter through your own justification, through your own good works, through your own attempts of keeping the law, God will be displeased by that, dissatisfied, and he will reject the one who tries to enter apart from Jesus. It's called self-righteousness. And that is not something that pleases God. God is pleased by faith. 
verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Okay, so as far as like the, the access that we have, the blessings that we have, the inheritance that has been promised to us, it has all been done because of what Jesus has accomplished. He is the one who kept the law. He is the one that died on behalf of the guilty. And it's our placing our faith in him that allows us to partake in the freedom that he gives us. That in Jesus, we are sons, we are adopted, we are no longer slaves, but we're free in Jesus. And so this is tremendously good news. Verse 8, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back? All right, like in the Exodus story, the Israelites are, are rescued from over 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And they go into the wilderness and they see God miraculously save them. And they begin to complain and argue and murmur about what God is allowing in their lives in that moment. And they begin to even think about like, you know what? Slavery was actually pretty good because we had vegetables sometimes that I liked. Right? And, and like they misremember the reality of what they were in. They were, they were experiencing slavery and even genocide of their children. And they're like, you know what? Remember the good old days back in Egypt? And like think about how absurd that is. That's the same thing that Paul is saying to the Galatians. He says, do you understand you are sons, that you are heirs, that you are no longer slaves? why do you want to go back? Why would you return to that? Why would you try to go back to that old covenant that can cannot bring blessing in your life, but only cursing? And, and I want us to be wary of this, right? Be well warned by this, because there is somehow an attraction to this old covenant. It is something that is attractive to some of us, right? Where it's like, I feel like I can earn some merit badges, right? I feel like I can brag on me a little bit. Look at all the extra stuff I'm doing. Like, be careful, right? He says this, how can you turn back, right? How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more. Verse 10. Now check this out. This is really interesting. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. And so what Paul's talking about here is the Galatian church, uh, that there are some who have been drawing them away back into a life of Judaism. Or even if they were... Uh, previously Gentiles, right? They're trying to say, no, in order to be saved, you actually have to keep this old covenant law. You have to be circumcised. You have to keep these feast days, these holidays, right? That you actually have to do all of these things. And they were being drawn away back into this old covenant that we're not supposed to have any part of anymore. 
let me keep going. So he says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. And Paul is so concerned. He's actually thinking like, he's like, I don't even know if you guys are followers of Jesus anymore because I don't understand why you're so attracted to this. Like he's, he's not saying that definitively, but he's starting to doubt. And so what I want us to be careful of is that there are Christians who attempt to be Torah observant, right? Even, even nowadays, like it, it's becoming an attractive thing to them. They, they attempt to celebrate feasts and holy days that were dedicated for the nation of Israel in the old covenant. And I would significantly caution you against this because there can be pride that we experience when we do more than what God calls us to do, right? There can be this self-righteous uh, sort of attitude that we have, right? In which we think like we're, we're further pleasing God, we're getting bonus points with God, we're gaining more approval with God. But the scripture is abundantly clear. We cannot be justified by keeping the old covenant. We do not bring additional pleasure or joy to God by trying to keep it. Okay, we, we don't. Uh, we do not gain additional blessing by doing so either. It is possible and even likely that God would be displeased in, an in a life that is attempting to live under this old way. Because to do so is the, the opposite of faith. It is believing that what Jesus did was insufficient and that somehow that like, I will get more by trying to do these other things. It is to live not believing that Jesus had fulfilled the law. It is to live acting as though we are not sons, but that we are still under that old slavery. Okay, and this is, this is very dangerous. And as we'll see, Paul isn't even neutral on this matter. He advocates that we drastically distance ourselves away from any appearance of trying to keep the ceremonial and cultural practices of the Old Covenant. And I'm going to skip down to verse uh, 21, okay? And this is where we, where we get to this story about Abraham and Hagar and Ishmael and Sarah. Verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? And so what I want to point out is he's indicating that our human hearts, even though we're rebellious, that some of us, instead of living a life of licentiousness and sinfulness and, and according to the lust of the flesh, others of us are attracted to self-righteousness and law-keeping and pride, okay, that, that that can be a temptation and can lure us away and we are enticed by our own desires into sin. Okay, that, that he's actually saying that there are those who desire to be under the law. And so if there are those then that desired it, we too must guard our own hearts, right? Just as we wouldn't uh, just chase after the lusts and intents of our hearts, the flesh, we also need to be on guard against running after these sorts of things. And so, there's a danger here, okay? There's, there's a danger. Verse 22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. Okay, and so Paul is 
giving us Holy Spirit-inspired allegory on top of an actual historic event. Okay, so just so you're aware. Like, when we just read that in Genesis, we would probably not have walked away with this interpretation. But the Holy Spirit's writing through Paul and making this point. He says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. And he's going to attach like one covenant in the opposite way that we probably ever would think. He says, one is from Mount Sinai, right? He's talking about the law of Moses, right? The tablets, the Ten Commandments coming down from the mountain, right? That whole experience. And you might be like, oh, I know, I know that that's going to be the good one. But look out. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Right? That's kind of the opposite of what we would have expected. Uh, now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above, talking about heavenly Jerusalem, is free, and she is our mother. And so he says one covenant, the, the, the law of Moses, he says, produces children that are enslaved. Like, what? <laughs> right? Like, if, if you've been uh, reading through the Bible in a year and you started in the Old Testament and you've been like, wow, like, that's, not, you know, God's establishing a nation. He's giving these laws. Like, you might at first have had, like, all of these considerations that, like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm supposed to be doing these things. Right? Easy assumption. But here we're warned that, uh, that to live under that old covenant is to live a life enslaved. And he says that the other covenant, this new covenant, it's founded in Christ where he did the work for us. It's, he's talking about the, the new Jerusalem, not the present one, but this future yet to, yet to be here, Jerusalem, in which it's for those who are free. The New Living Translation kind of unclouds this a little bit. It says, but the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman and she is our mother. See, back to ESV verse 27. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now, you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. All right, so there, once again, is the answer to the question, who are, the, who's the son of Abraham? Who are the children of Abraham, right? And you might be thinking Ishmael and Isaac, but he's saying that it's, it's about us, those who share the faith of Abraham, that we are like Isaac. We are like children of the promise when we place our faith in Jesus, okay? Now, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as it, it uh, just, just, but just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. And so he was talking about how Ishmael was persecuting Isaac. And he's saying that the same thing is happening now, that those who try to adhere to the law, those who desire to be under the law, persecute those who are free. Okay? But now this is, this is the big point. A horrible event documented in the Old Testament is now applied in the New Testament in a way that we should uh, respect, in a way that we should actually rejoice in. 
He says, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Now, what was the, what was the allegory there? He, he's saying explicitly as a command, cast off the slave woman and her son. But what did that represent in the story? He, he told us very clearly, right? He said that Hagar is the covenant from Sinai. Hagar is the law of Moses. Hagar represents all of the old covenant with its practices, its cultures, right? Its feasts, all of these things. And the command written to those who are free, those who are children of God, who have faith in Jesus, the command and instruction is cast it off. That in our relationship to the old covenant, to the law of Moses, is not something that we dabble in and play with. Cast it off. Cast it off. Like he's abundantly clear here, this is what the scripture says to us. We must cast out the old covenant. Abraham was justified by faith before many of those commands were ever written. Okay? We will not be justified by trying to keep them. We will not further please God by trying to keep them. They are a type and a shadow to help us understand our need for a Savior and what Jesus did for us in fulfilling them. But they are not for us to keep or to practice. Okay? Just as God would not answer Abraham's prayer in the affirmative, right? That he was going to use Ishmael as the son of the promise. Okay? Even though Abraham prayed, God's like, no, I'm not going to use Ishmael. I'm not going to do it your way, okay? So too, God will not bless you through the old covenant. Even if your intentions are good. Even if you think that you're pleasing God by trying to keep the old covenant law. Right? God will be displeased by that. God's going to do it his way. And his way is through Jesus and by faith that God will justify the ungodly. And that's not to say that those who are followers of Jesus have no law. No, we have the law of liberty, the law of love, it's described in the New Covenant, right? We are taught to obey all that Jesus had commanded, okay? And so it doesn't mean that, like, we just run around lawless, because uh, I think it's in 1 John, the Bible says that sin is lawlessness, all right, but the point is that we don't live according to those cultural practices and ordinances anymore. And the command for New Testament believers is to cast it off. Okay, so let me tell you a quick, better story with the same conclusion. Okay, here, here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, right? The, the passage that talks about saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves, all that. But check out verse 11. And once again, Paul's writing to a church in which there are both Jewish descendants and Gentiles, all as followers of Jesus, and he's got good news for them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is 
called the circumcision, uh, which is made by the flesh and by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Okay, that that previously God was working specifically through the family of Abraham in this long plan to bring about blessing and salvation even to the families of the earth. And he's saying, Gentiles, you used to be separated, right? You used to not be a part of all of those covenants in God's working, okay? But, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so this is the opposite story to Abraham and Ishmael, right? Instead of casting off the, the servant and her son, right? Christ has now brought us near, right? Christ has brought us near by his blood in which all of our sins can be forgiven. Okay, uh, verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He's talking about the, the one that he's made is between both Jew and Gentile. That, that we're no longer separated, that just as we've been united to God through Christ, we've also been united to each other. That the family of God is made up of every tribe and tongue and nation. Okay, and so it doesn't matter, right, that Hagar and Ishmael were Egyptian. No, God is looking for people from every nation and desires to bring them near to himself through the blood of Jesus. And there's no more wall of hostility between the groups. Verse 15, and how, yeah, check this out. How did Jesus break this wall of hostility? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And so this is the opposite story, but the same conclusion. We don't keep the old law. Jesus abolished the law and its ordinances. Okay, that we're, we're not under that now old umbrella. No, there's an entirely new umbrella that we're all in the same group, and it's all because of Jesus. It had nothing to do with any of our ability to keep that law, right? It's in Jesus that we have been adopted as sons. There's, there's neither Jew nor Greek, right? That we're all part of the same family, and that part of the way that Jesus removed that wall of hostility wasn't just in shedding his blood, but also in abolishing that covenant and its ordinances. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Merry Christmas, right? Jesus came into the world and he preached peace to all of us, whether near or far inviting us into his family to be adopted as sons and heirs, okay? No longer slaves. We are free in Christ Jesus. We are family in Christ Jesus. Verse 18, for through him we both 
have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And so, in conclusion, right? God blesses the families of the earth through Abraham, through his long descendant, Jesus Christ, who fulfills the law, who keeps it, and then dies in our place for our sins, making us right with God. That we now, by faith in him, can be adopted into his family and receive an inheritance and promises. And part of his rescue plan also included abolishing the old law and its ordinances that in contrast to casting off he now draws us near and we all have access through the same way and to, to pretend as though we get extra access using self-righteousness by trying to keep some old commands that's actually going to be displeasing to him and would reinvite that hostility between the groups. No, 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 that's not how it works, right? We all have access. We are children. We are heirs of God because of what Jesus did for us. So, good news. You can be in the family of God. You just have to do the same thing that Abraham did, not in circumcision and establishing all of these covenants, but by just believing God, by, by having faith in what God has done for you, by believing that Jesus did, in fact, die for your sins, and Jesus is, in fact, your Lord and Savior. And so you can make that choice right now, right? You can talk to God on your own. Feel free to reach out and ask questions if you still have things that you struggle with. Obviously, today's text had a whole lot of potholes we could have hit, right? But nonetheless, God rescues and redeems the broken human story and brings about his ransom and salvation in which he invites you into it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord that you do not cast us off, that you draw near to us, you call to us, you preached peace to us, Lord God, both those who were near and those who were far off. I thank you, Lord, that it has nothing to do with our keeping the law or trying to uphold certain ordinances or going back to a life of slavery under it. But Lord, I pray that you would bring freedom today as, as we have heard in your word that we are to cast off that way of life. That, Lord, that we as followers of Jesus would no longer be bewitched to that way of thinking. And that, Lord, we would be set free. That we would set our minds on you. And that, Lord, we would fulfill all the law, the good law, the loyal, the, the royal law, by keeping the greatest commandments to love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys. Take care. Have a wonderful week. We love you.